0: This is the Media Week Industry Podcast from the people at mediaweek.com.au. Welcome to a new TV podcast. My name's James Manning. I'm the editor of Media Week. Joining me today, Media Week contributor Andrew Mercado. Welcome back, Andrew. Hi James, how are you? Good, good. Fair bit happening as the uh, survey year ticks over. We're in day two of the survey year as we record this and there's just so many shows premiering, new stuff coming on. But I've got a feeling we're going to probably talk largely about two things today. Uh, (laughs) I can't wait to talk to you about Sally forever. Yes. Um, We'll have a good little chat about that. But I I, I think it's important that we start with um, Eurovision and um you've been up on location on the Goldie. Yeah
1: I, got I was s- there. I got
0: to see you on TV mate.
1: <laughs> I swear I wasn't trying to be on TV James in <laughs> fact. I tried to hide every time that camera came near me. Um, basically I just went as a punter. Did I, you? Bought the, yeah, I bought the yeah but the tickets you could buy the tickets and go to three shows which turned out to be a dress rehearsal on Friday night, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: a dress rehearsal on Saturday afternoon of the complete show. Right. Uh, Just a couple of issues every now and then where they went, oh, we might do that bit again. But then it went live to air on Saturday night and they'd ironed everything out and it was, you know, I thought it was sensational. As a punter being in the crowd, I thought it was great. And because um, I went with the... an old showgirl friend of mine from Sydney, Christie, and Kaya Handley, who's from the ABC in Newcastle. And Kaya is the Eurovision expert, <laughs> to end all experts. Okay. She knew everything about staging and the rules and all of this stuff. And not only that... She knew the words to all 10 songs that were competing to be the Australian finalist. So I was in. She did. She'd (laughs) listen to it in the car all the way driving up (laughs) and she could sing the chorus to every single one of those songs. Whereas I prefer to just go in and see it all completely fresh. I haven't heard any of the songs. Just perform for me. And like a lot of people sitting at home who are going to vote, I just want to see what grabs my attention.
0: Okay, okay.
1: But because Kaya and Christy had outfits planned (laughs) for the whole three shows and told me about these amazing Australian flag dresses that they were going to wear, I thought, I really need to up my game here. So I went to one of those $2 tourist shops on the Gold Coast and thought, I need an Australian headband And I saw it, but it was attached to this stupid wig. And I thought, I'll just cut the wig off. But when I took it home and put it on, um, my friends laughed so much at it because it was a mohawk (laughs) in the Australian flag colours. They said, you've got to wear it. It's Eurovision. So I did. And so, yeah, I'm wearing that stupid wig. But, of course, as soon as we got there, the producers said, you lot are coming into the inner circle of that mosh pit. So there we were, front of stage, which is, of course, my favourite place to be, James, if you're going to see a concert, you might as well be right up there at the front where you got room to dance and all that, and I had the most sensational time.
0: Wow, well, that's good, because, yeah, you could have been with the VIPs, presumably, up the back, sipping on a drink, but um, the, you're dead right. The best place to experience the, the thrill of a live show is in the very front row, which is all, where all the fans queue up for many hours to get. Now, can we run through all the contestants? Yeah, yeah. I'd love... Because I thought it was a pretty good field, really. Look, I I haven't yet watched the
1: playback of it. Mm -hmm. So tell me, James. Look, I was there. I saw the staging. I saw the production. I could see the giant screens on the side. I glance at them occasionally. But I thought... For I thought it was sensationally put together by SBS and Blink TV. It was really well run. Um, it looked like they had spent probably not a lot of money, very very wisely. <laughs> and as a viewer, did you think that that was a top notch uh, live event production to watch?
0: Yeah. Look, you knew you weren't watching Eurovision, but I mean, yeah. Otherwise, I thought it was great. And um, but just the performances got to me. There were so many good tunes. They were great. They yeah. were really good. Yeah. Yeah. I've got to tell you, I mean, look, and Kate Miller-Heidke look a very worthy winner, fantastic performance. But I, but I thought Shepherd could feel a little bit hard done by. Him. I mean, is that what do you
1: think? No, you're allowed to feel that. Um, I can tell you, Shepherd came third. Right. Um, and I can tell you there was a lot of love in that room for everybody. Yes, yes, I know there was a jury that was voting and there were people at home, but I was there watching that show three times mm. with three different crowds. Some yeah. people, some, you know, super fans were going to all three. But I can tell you that in the room the two acts that The Room exploded for were the acts that came first and second. Kate Miller-Heidke and Electric Fields. Electric Fields, I think, were the closest thing to a runner-up to Kate Miller-Heidke. And I would have been okay with either one of those. There's no taking away from what Kate Miller-Heidke did. She is the consummate professional. Mm. She came up with a song. She explained the theme of what it meant and then she had that. It was a fusion of opera and and she had that incredible staging with the the, the female dancer flying mm. through the air, representing the black dog of depression. I mean, it was brilliant. Mm. But my Eurovision expert, Kaya Handley, tells me that she won't be able to do an act like that in uh, the main event in Israel in May because you only get forty seconds bump in onto the stage, mm. and that setup took. You know five Mm. minutes to put the weights in place for that dancer and to get Kate to go up the ladder so they've got to figure out a way to put her into a rig like that wheel her onto stage and get all that done within 40 seconds it's going to be tough
0: maybe someone on stilts behind her with a big maybe big black um sort of you know what do you call it blanket or sheet over them or something yeah hovering in the background the, um, the, the the one thing about Shepherd, I thought they may be a bit almost too polished and, and they'd already sort of had a hit with that song. So I just thought of, has that tune's time already been?
1: Well, I, I will say this. I do really... I did really like that Shepherd, uh, the, the acts I thought were the best on the night were the ones that had done their research and understood what Eurovision mm. meant. And they got it in terms of the costumes they wore. Mm. You know, I, I've got to say, I had an issue with the fact that most of the blokes who were performing were dressed in black. All of them were dressed in black. But the guy from Shepherd was in a black T-shirt and black pants, but he had a colourful jacket over the top. And I was like, okay, dude, at least you get it. But, you know, Alfie Akuri and Mark Vincent and Aiden, their songs were great, but they just stood there by themselves, all dressed in black with no staging, No backup dancers and nothing crazy the way that Eurovision fans expect it to be. And it's like, it's not enough just to have a voice. Yes, the song's important and your presence is important, but Eurovision is an event and you've got the opportunity to have another five people on stage with you. Do what Courtney Act did. Get five dancers. Find some cool props. Unless you're going to embrace the Eurovision experience, uh, you know, I, I just don't think it's enough to stand there in black and sing and go, I have the best voice, therefore I should win.
0: Yeah. Because you saw all those people, as you said, perform three times. Yep. What, how, how did Courtney Act and Ella Hooper both go?
1: They, they were all fantastic. They were all professional, and I got... Uh, It turned out that I did know a couple of people who were backstage and they saw me on screen and texted me and said, is that you in the front row? And I said, yes, it is. And they said, as soon as we get a break, we'll come out and tell you. And I can tell you, and I don't need to tell you who who told me this, but I can tell you that the word from backstage with those 10 artists was they were all an absolute delight to work with. Mm -hmm. There wasn't one single person pulling the diva trip, um, everybody was um, being nice to one another and helping each other out. So it was a, apparently a beautiful atmosphere uh, to work at.
0: Yes. Okay. The uh, audience seemed to respond very well to it. They had good ratings. And in fact, I think the audiences were stronger than for the actual Eurovision semi-finals last year.
1: Wow, that's amazing. And I did see all of them. There wasn't a single person that stuffed up or hit a bung note in any of the performances that I did. But I will say that I thought that Electric Fields, who were the Mm runner-up, for me, they're the surprise package. Because i got to tell you, James, I'd never heard of them until that day. But the moment... Um, that lead singer started singing his chorus in an Indigenous language and that sort of joyous way that he was dancing around the stage and then the reveal, yes, he was in black, but the reveal of him pulling off that headscarf and flicking those braids around, I can tell you on the final show... the the one that was going to wear the the audience exploded uh, when he did that and they gave him such a round of applause, both of them in electric fields. They had an incredible response and I couldn't help thinking that if they had come first instead of Kate Miller-Heidke, how I think Europe would have embraced an Australian act that had uh, this wicked dance song where part of the chorus was in a native indigenous language. They would have eaten that up. But having said that, I think they're going to love what Kate Miller-Heidke is taking to them as well.
0: Yes, yes, okay. According to well, Wikipedia, the now there's two, it's a duo, Electric Fields, pretty much? Isn't it? Yes, yep. yes. Each of, um, one of them auditioned for The X Factor. Right. The third season. Yeah. And that's, um, is it Zachariah? Zachariah. And then right. Ma- Michael auditioned for the fifth season. Oh, wow. Yeah.
1: So. Yeah, they're very special. I can't wait to see what they've, they've done next because, you know, if, uh, if that's what they can just, you know, pull out of the bag and, and enter a contest when a lot of people have never heard of them before, there's, they are an act to watch.
0: Yeah, well, that was a massive platform, for them and I wouldn't be surprised if there weren't a few music companies um, sniffing around there today and people yeah. asking why, why haven't we um, talked to these people about um, joining our label.
1: Yeah,
0: yeah. The um, is there is there a life there for any of those other songs? You think that uh, commercially?
1: Um, How I w- thought court.
0: Sorry, yeah, Courtney. Act ask. song
1: I thought was was very catchy. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, when I I watched those, I saw all those performances. When I woke up on the Sunday morning, it was Courtney's chorus that was going through my head. So yeah. she had a catchy song. Um, look, I liked all of the songs. I really did. I didn't think there was, a, a bum moment in all of them, but I think that, um, Look, I liked of of the three guys that sort of dressed in black and did those songs. Mark Vincent's song was good. Um, Aiden's song was good, and the young young girls in the room clearly loved him. But I thought that Alfie uh, had the catchiest song of those three. Um, I love Ella Hooper, um, and that was a her song was a bit rock, but I wasn't quite sure that that was the greatest song and Mm. Tanya Doko it was great to see her back there but I was kind of like yeah that that song isn't going to win you Eurovision either but apparently she put in three songs James and uh, they told her which song they wanted and and she had a preference for another song that didn't end up uh, being in the competition so it would have been interesting to see what uh, because she's a songwriter now in Sweden and just pumps out the songs
0: okay okay yeah, interesting stuff all right, so people will be watching on then to see how um Kate goes in um, up against the rest of, well, not the rest of you, up against Europe.
1: <laughs> and you know, James, the audience, you know Eurovision attracts uh, a certain type of fan. Mm. Uh, and the, the sort of the warm up audience person was uh, Emily Kate, who's sometimes on the Today' show she does a Gold Coast Breakfast Radio and she was asking where people came from, and it was it was pretty clear that a lot of people had travelled to the Gold Coast from Brisbane, obviously, yep. um, but there are a lot of people from Sydney, a lot of people from Melbourne. People had flown in all from all over Australia to go to that, and of course the reason I went to it was, I've never been to a Eurovision overseas. That's why I was one of the first people to buy tickets as soon as it went on sale. I was like, I'm going to that, I'm not going to miss it, and it, it did have that feeling of being a lot of fun and being around, you know, Eurovision fans that, you know, there were two guys in the audience, they came to the show on Saturday afternoon, they watched Kate Milheide Keith's performance and they went straight out and bought crowns and cable ties and recreated her look and you go, that's a Eurovision (laughs) fan! (laughs)
0: Because she's probably got a little bit of a profile internationally, Kate, I guess, which I couldn't hurt?
1: tell you that. She certainly had. She said, "There's certainly a lot of love for her in the room, you know." Yeah. Um, but I think word was out that her performance was something really special. So you know, as soon as they started like wheeling out her giant rig to get into the audience, started going crazy. Yeah,
0: yeah. It's interesting because the UK actually had an event to choose their entrant on um, on the weekend as well. So yes. I, so I'm not sure if there were. Coordinated um, programs around Europe, but there was certainly one in the UK. Uh, it was up in Manchester, and I know yep. from a friend who was there, it was very hard to get into as well. Wow! Uh, people queued up during the afternoon, very early, yep. and they still couldn't even get in inside when it opened up.
1: And um, I saw a little bit of controversy. They, they, they. Kind of changed their voting process to let the public have a bit of a say in who was voted, as opposed to okay. previous years. Yeah. So there was a bit of a controversy. There were some people who weren't happy with the song that won it. But I think what's great about um, our winner, I think everybody's happy with it. You know, yeah. I don't. You know, I'm sure there's some people. In fact, I do have a friend that said, "What the hell was that?" racket she was making with all those weird noises. Not everyone's going to appreciate all music, I get that, but um, I think that Kate Miller-Heidke is a popular win and I think most people who watch the show from start to finish would agree that, you know... uh, everyone put on the best possible show possible, and I don't think anyone's going to complain about her uh, representing us.
0: Yeah. Well, there's a lot of pressure now on these people to actually uh, perform when they get there. I know the UK, the UK hasn't won for 22 years, so they, no. they're all a bit embarrassed by that, I think, given the pop heritage that, uh, that, the, that um, there is in England.
1: I don't understand why the UK isn't getting bigger artists to represent them. Mm. I mean, we had, you know, we went for such a diverse range of artists from a mixed mixed music genres and older performers, younger performers, well-known names, not so well-known names. And yet year after year, the UK throws in an entry, and you go, who is that? Mm. For God's sake, the UK is the home of pop music. They should be winning it every second year. But for Mm. some reason, when it comes to Eurovision, they throw an unknown in, and they get a really ordinary song. A lot of people in Europe hate Britain, so they're (laughs) behind the... Well, it's true. You look at that voting um, every every time and they're always down at the bottom of the chart. So they've got mm. to come up with something really special to break that, you know, break that uh, situation sure. they're in if, they re- if they're if they serious about it.
0: Yeah, well, Australia certainly had a shocker last year, though, sadly. But um, the no. <laughs> UK entrant is yeah, a guy called Michael Rice. Never right. heard of him. Never, heard, he, of him. He Never won, heard of him. He won... Um, what did he win? He's a um, reality show. Go, what did he? He won £50,000 on altogether Now.
1: Oh, did he? Uh, he so he's that year. guy? Yeah.
0: Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, he looks Mr. Joe Average, but he must right. have a good voice, presumably, to win the program. So.
1: Well, I saw a lot of social media chatter that there was some uh, female singer called Carrie ann and not... Our CAC, but a, a black uh, UK singer called Kerry ann she apparently had a track that was a bit of a kind of, it had a great dance beat to it and a rocking chorus, and a lot of people I saw a lot of people on social media saying oh god, for god's sake, why didn't they take Kerry ann she clearly had uh, the song that was the catchiest of the night but I haven't seen any of those UK performers, so I'm just repeating what I read
0: Yep, yeah, okay Alright, well, I've got to talk to you about Sally forever now, can't wait anymore <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, wow. Have you watched any of it yet? I've watched all of it
1: Oh my god, I'm so <laughs> jealous I've only watched the first two episodes and everyone's saying to me you wait until you get to, get to episode 3 and 4 and I'm going, could it get even more tasteless than the first two episodes?
0: Oh well, yeah, I tell you, episode episode 4 is pretty amazing But um, <gasps> and episode 7, I won't give out spoilers but gee whiz it, um, <coughs> it made me... I I was okay with it up till then, and I started to think, hmm, it really changed my mind about the series, to be honest. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, Not because I'm a prude or anything, but just, you know, it still started to become a bit much.
1: Look, she, Julia Davis, who created the show and stars in one of the leading roles, she is the queen of tasteless, uncomfortable.
0: Yeah, yeah, well, I must admit, I don't... I haven't seen much of her stuff before this, so...
1: Have you never seen Nighty Nights?
0: No, I'm a newbie when it comes to her, Julia oh. Davis.
1: Okay, well, you see, if you'd seen Nighty Night, you would have had a better idea of what to expect. I mean, she made Nighty Night back in 2004. It screened on the ABC, the first series, the second yeah. series. Not so successful, screened on SBS. And she was doing that type of character... And that type of, I can't believe what I'm seeing humor back then.
0: But was it as out there as much as this oh, one?
1: Yes, it was. was in '99, in, really? in she played a hairdresser mm. called Jill. And the mm. first scene was her and the husband sitting in a doctor's surgery. And the doctor said, Well, you know, you've got cancer and you've probably only got a few years to live and she broke down and started weeping and wailing and then the bloke said um, i don't know why you're so upset jill i'm the one with cancer and with that she took him straight to a hospice dumped him there and went home and started went on a dating site to find herself a new husband he wasn't even dead yet <laughs> and she then decides that who she wants is the gormless twitch Across the road who's married to these these new people moved in across the road and the wife has multiple sclerosis and is in a wheelchair Mm. and she just proceeds to torture this woman in a wheelchair so that she can get her out of the way to marry the husband I mean it was so many shades of wrong and in 2004 it was kind of out there on its own as being one of the most outrageous things ever made and since then all the shows she's made none of them have screened in australia until now she made a uh, she started making shows then for sky in the uk she did a period dark gothic sitcom called hunderby which i had to chase down on dvd Mm -hmm. she made a show called camping which has just been americanized um, by the writing team behind Girls and the cast includes Jennifer Garner, David Tennant and Juliette Lewis and ironically it's screening in a double time slot with, uh, with Sally Forever mm. but it looks like we're not going to see uh, the original UK version of Camping because the American version has bigger names, I get it. Um, so Sally Forever, it's such a treat to see it Because uh, none of this stuff has really travelled here since '99. But I'm a huge fan of her work, and uh, I haven't seen the end of Sally Forever yet. But I'm sort of got it sitting here like a like a (laughs) ageing wine, waiting for the right (laughs) moment to go. When can I sit down and give my 100% attention to
0: it? Yeah, but I mean, just that—it's the first episode, isn't it, where it's that sex scene between the two new lovers. I just oh. – surely she wouldn't be up. you couldn't have done stuff like that, though, 15, 20 years ago, could you?
1: Well, you couldn't, but there were some moments in the original 99 that were pretty out there, <coughs> pretty out there. There was some stuff with a turkey baster and some sperm that was pretty out there. <laughs> um, so she's got form in this area, and she does like to push things too far.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, for me it, re- <laughs> it it really did get too far in that final Shit. episode. Um, but I, I won't. I won't. I'll say why after you've in another okay. podcast after you've watched it all, because I'd be interesting to get your thoughts on it. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's pretty wild. Um, wow! And there's also a a guest in that final episode. Yes, who's not sort of involved in the stuff. That <laughs> but <laughs> but I won't say who, because for people who don't know, I won't spoil that either. Oh, I but, can't But as, like, wait. it's definitely worth seeing. And I, I think, I, I'm a bit in two minds, I think that fourth episode, it would probably make my best of the year list. Wow. But, but then the final episode almost makes me think, well, I've got to take it off <laughs> because of that.
1: Well, you can t- you can like do So I could have one episode,
0: but not the yeah. series, yeah.
1: Yeah. well see this is this is um, this is kind of exactly what happened with ninety nine series one brilliant mm. series two pushed a little bit too far I mean I kept watching it till the end and you know stuck with it, but there was no doubt that series two wasn 't as good as series one and it 's interesting because as I googled um, her on the weekend, even she admits, yeah look, I got the tone wrong for series two I yeah. went too far so it 'll be interesting to see if you know as, as as she looks back on this series, Sally, for every one day she'll say, "Yeah, maybe I went too far with that final episode." Um, but that is her style. She pushes it so far that every now and then she kind of goes off the
0: cliff. Yeah, but what I do like is it gets you talking, right? And gets you correct. You, you get, and we talk about this all the time. How series after series is, can be good TV, but it's you know it doesn't create a lot of noise. It's you know. It's never going to attract audiences if it's just okay and not really good um interestingly i guess this is going to be remain pretty niche but still (laughs) it's going to have a hell of a lot of people talking about it Uh, it took a while to get here too i mean it launched in um correct in the uk at the end of october in the us in mid-november we've had to wait a little while to see it but but I guess, you know, it's um it's not as if it's um we're not talking sort of Game of Thrones issue, are we?
1: And I find it really interesting that she's now making co-productions for Sky and HBO, mm. and that's why uh, Foxtel have got it, because they have, they've got that, you know, HBO deal completely locked up. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it's screening on Foxtel Showcase now, and uh, oh, which is now called Fox Showcase, get yes. the terminology right. Yes. Um, and, yeah, if any of that sounds interesting to you, you, you it, it comes highly recommended to at least
0: start it, right? Yeah, yeah, I think yeah, you've definitely <laughs> got it. You've got to get in there. Um, yeah, I was going to say yeah. Now I watched the first episode of the US camping. Yep, I did too. Did, didn't grab me to be honest. No, me neither. Just looked again. It looked like it had been sanitised a little bit. I, I mean, I don't know. It was just, just it was a tad boring. You know, it was people turning yeah. up to camp and. And I really liked the casting. I thought that was nice, but mm, just you know, I certainly wasn't hanging out desperately to see episode two.
1: No, no, I, I, I'm I'm with you. I, I watched one, and and I just thought to myself, something's been lost in translation. Yeah, in taking it from the UK to the US, and it's not like they've just. It's not like when they used to take. You know, when they did all those shows from the 70s, like they turned Till Death is Too Part into All the Family Mm. and Steptoe and Son into Sanford and Son and all that, they would pretty much take the original scripts Mm. and just kind of redo them exactly as, and then the show would go off on its own American path. Yeah. This doesn't seem to me like it's happened. When you get Lena Dunham and the other writer of Girls and the shows written by them, it's not like they've taken those original scripts. They've clearly taken the concept and the basic characters, but it it, it appears to me that they have changed or... They've changed quite a bit of it, mm. um, and now it's just got a you know original series created by Julia Davis. So I don't know what got lost in translation, but I know being a Julia Davis fan, I would I would have preferred to watch the original. And at some point, I guess I'll have to track it down and see what what was so different about that because this the American version something uh, is 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 uh, not compelling about it.
0: Yeah, look, I was a big fan of, uh, Oh, I still am a big fan of uh, David Tennant, isn't it, who's in it? Um, yeah, yep. Um, but he doesn't do anything, does he? He just sort of sits no. there in a the chair beside the, at the camp, and he's not really, you know, he's not really, certainly not stretched at all, is he?
1: The most interesting part of the first episode for me was when Juliet Lewis stripped off and was well, was that her front at the end in the yeah yeah skinny dipping
0: well that was, I was yeah, like I, wow
1: wasn't expecting that Well it was
0: about time though something happened i thought oh hello here we go the, the final <laughs> few scenes i'm I've, I've certainly you know my interest has been peaked and oh yeah look at that yeah yeah but nobody else stripped off did they
1: no they did not oh,
0: no. <laughs> okay so what else is on the menu
1: Um, Well, we have to talk about the new Aussie dramas that are starting. Uh It's a massive week uh, starting on TV from Monday, Feb 18, because that's the night that Bad Mothers begins on 9. Yeah. And then on Thursday, Feb 21, Ms. Fisher's Modern Murder Mysteries begins on 7 which is uh, the new 1960s set era about Miss Fisher's niece. And then on Friday, Feb 22, we get The Heights starting on ABC, which is a new drama that they've made in Perth. Um, So I've seen The Heights and Bad Mothers, but uh, I haven't got round to watching Miss Fisher's Modern Murder Mysteries. It's a two-hour um, I've got to set aside sort of two hours to watch that. I'm looking forward to it. I love the idea of taking that concept of uh, the, the murder mystery and putting it into the swinging 60s and all the promos on 7 for it make me want to watch it. I just haven't had time to watch it yet.
0: Yeah, of those, that's the only one I know a little bit about. I was lucky enough to have a chat to Deb Cox and Fiona Regga just earlier right. today on the phone and they, they talked me through it. So there's four, they're like telly movies, if you like. Yep, um, I think they're about ninety minutes without ads.
1: Yeah, that sounds right.
0: And but they're in, interestingly they're packaging them up as eight one-hour episodes for the international market.
1: Oh, interesting.
0: Hmm. Yeah, yeah. But it sounds like a lot of fun. I think nineteen sixty-four. It's set. From what I've seen, they've done a great job recreating the period.
1: Yeah, um, it looks very colourful. Those promos on that seem to have caught that kind of. Handy coloured look of the 60s when, you know, fashion and interior design was kind of exploding out of the 1950s into something quite technicolour.
0: Yeah, sure. Yeah, no, they they have done a, a pretty good job. And, yeah, no, it looks brilliant. Uh, seven have given it a Thursday night slot. So yep. it's uh, Thursday week from when we record this, the uh, Feb 21. Um, so that means they'll be able to get the four episodes to air before the sort of winter sport starts.
1: Yep, uh, yep,
0: yep. Football, of course, AFL and NRL starts on Thursdays, um, just about the time that, that uh, series will wrap up. So
1: and I notice in TV Week that the competition for Ms. Fisher's Modern Murder Mysteries is, of course, Gogglebox on 10, which is yep. huge, um, but 9 seem to have totally... Gone, we're not even going to try. Uh, they're doing a repeat of the movie Gladiator,
0: right? Yeah, yeah. I think because their NRL starts not too right. far away on Thursdays, they um, just
1: want to hook in those male viewers on a Thursday night and say we get we've got the male alternative for you. Yeah, <laughs> I think
0: they feel well. Look, they've spent a lot of money winning the start of the week. They yeah. can afford to take the foot off of the pedal a little bit on a Thursday. And they've only got a couple of Thursdays to fill before the sport will, will probably do uh, reasonable business for them in that time slot. But tell us about Bad Mothers.
1: Oh, just before I just want to oh, yeah? say one yeah. last thing Sorry. about Miss Fishers, even though I haven't watched it yet. One of the things I really like about Seven Dramas is that they like to uh, discover stars and keep them in the stable. Yes. So you've yeah. got Geraldine Hakewill, who uh, starred alongside uh, Rebecca Gibney in Wanted, and it looks like she's playing a very different character uh, playing uh, the new Ms. Fisher. So well done to her. And also Joel Jackson, you know, who stars yeah. Peter Allen yeah. in The Boy From Oz. He's kind of, you know, the, the detective that's going to kind of romantically spar with the new Miss Fisher. So, you know, good on Seven for finding new talent and then finding other things for them to do. They always do that.
0: Yeah, Did we think Joel Jackson's career might have taken off a bit quicker than it has? Because he sort of burst onto the screen and he's been a little bit quiet for a while.
1: And when you think of him back playing Peter Allen when he could sing and dance and act and he's so tall and good looking, yes, you would have thought that he would be a massive bigger star by now, I agree.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I think um, Deadline Gallipoli, wasn't it? That was... One that of the, was
1: his Foxtel miniseries, yeah, yeah. that was
0: one of the first things he did. It was way back in 2015 now, but he was just so good in that, you know. Yeah, yeah. But, um, and, of course, the uh, creators, um, Fiona and Deb, are pretty busy because they've got Sea um, Change coming up for nine. Wow, they are
1: busy.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, they can juggle the role. Okay, Bad Mothers, what's doing?
1: Well it's just not very good james <laughs> and you know part of the problem here is that nine are promoting it as being this kind of sexy dangerous bad mothers and you know i'm i'm reading in tv week that they pitched it as desperate housewives meets big little lies well they wish yeah this is this is basically about as naughty as househusbands in yeah. fact I couldn't stop thinking about House Husbands because it's uh, filmed in Victoria like House Husbands was. Uh, it's, again, this, it's so annoying to make a show called Bad Mothers and then have them dropping cute little kids off at the primary school. It's like, oh, God, get rid of all those cute kids, you know. Mm-hmm. I thought this was going – you know, although having said that, Big Little Lies did that really well. But, you know, desperate mothers, the kids were a little bit older and they could have more teenage growing-up problems. But cute kids, we are not good in Australia, James, at the moment of finding good child actors. We just aren't. I think about that, those last couple of years of A Place to Call Home and the kids that were playing the young children in it, they were so precocious and not very good. Um and so Bad Mothers is trying really hard to go, oh, we're going to be this really dangerous show. And it's just like, I don't know. it's how like bad are soap- they? Uh, they're are they- not that bad, James. <laughs> that's, the whole, that's the other <laughs> thing. Yeah. They're not that bad. Oh, one of them smokes a joint and makes the other one get pissed in the middle of the day. That's about how bad they are. And another one steals a puppy. And you're mm. going, um... See, this, there's that whole thing of, yes, they're bad, but we sort of want to make them cute as well. It's like, fuck that. Get out there and make them bad or make a cute family show. Be one or the other. Don't try to be both.
0: Yes. Yeah. Okay. That. What's the time slot for that?
1: It's going to be Monday nights at nine pm. So it comes off the back of Married at First Sight, where you're going to see some, where you see some really horrid, and you do see some bad behaviour yeah. on Married at First Sight. And then it's going to go into this, and it's probably going to work, and it's probably going to get a lot of viewers on night one. But uh, I, I, just don't see it being the show that they're making out that it is.
0: We couldn't get a better leading, could you? So
1: you could not.
0: No. No. Okay, and what was the other drama? Oh, The um, the Heights, yeah? The
1: Heights. Okay, so I've just watched the first two episodes and it's very strange, James, because...
0: This is in Perth, right?
1: <laughs> yeah. Let me say from the outset, it's really, really good. Yes. It's in, in every single way where Bad Mothers comes across as fake and unbelievable, The Heights is real and it's now. It's a really well-made show. It looks like they've spent a decent budget on it uh it's got a great cast it's got a good mix of old and young characters it's not just based around you know one age group it's very multicultural there's you know uh middle eastern people in it a vietnamese cranky A woman who runs the shop. There's uh, a part Indigenous family in there. So, and it's this also because it's set in around a high rise uh, housing commission tower and then this kind of gentrification around it where, you know, some of the other characters live in fancy digs compared to the tower which, of course, is where The Heights gets its title from. So I've watched the first two episodes and I think it's really, really good. But here's where I go, what the? The show was made, James, as a serial to be played in 30-minute installments. And so what are the ABC doing with it? They're screening two episodes of it back-to-back on a Friday night, complete with all the credits at the end of the first episode and the next time preview and then the episode starts straight after the end of it with a previously recaps the first episode that you've just watched and then it'll screen again as a half hour episode. And they're gonna have to screen it that way because different people work on different episodes. So the credits of the show either have to be completely recut or, but I just don't understand why the ABC commissioned a serial to be played in 30 minute instalments and are now going to play it in one hour blocks. It completely ruins the flow of what the writers would have planned for that in terms of them writing a serial. I just don't understand why they're doing it I, I, It's crazy
0: I wouldn't be surprised if they don't hack out those um, That first episode credit, surely
1: Well, I just watched the two hmm. previews on hmm. the. I just watched the first two episodes on the ABC preview site And they're two completely separate episodes yeah. So let's wait and see what they put to air on the Friday night They do need to be hacked up and play as one episode But you've got this massive cliffhanger in the middle of it That's designed for... Du, du, du. you know, the credits and mm. oh wow, that's the cliffhanger and then you go into episode two and do you know what? The ABC has foremans, James. This is exactly what they did to Bellbird when they had Bellbird. Mm. They had a serial and they decided, oh no, let's put it together as a one hour show. Um, the show was dead within a year and then they did the same thing to Something in the Air. They commissioned that as a serial and then they decided, oh no, let's air that in two episodes, two Episode blocks. What did they do to that? They killed it. But Bell- to be starting.
0: Yeah. Oh, Bell- it's, it's it's just crazy. Bellbird started. That was a fifteen-minuteer, didn't it?
1: Yeah, but they used to screen four fifteen minutes of it a week, a fifteen minutes serial, and people were in the habit of watching it at six thirty every night. And then they suddenly announced, "Oh no, we're going to do a one-hour episode once a week." And All the fans in the country threw their hands up in horror and said no this is our routine we feed them milk the cows and come in and watch bell bird and then watch the abc news and you've stuffed it up you've taken away the thing we loved about before the abc news they completely ruined that show because bell bird was uh, a show that was not popular in the city but it was phenomenally popular in the bush And uh, the ABC, I think, back then were a little bit uncomfortable, but they had this massive commercial hit on their hands. And so it's almost like they deliberately tried to kill it off. And the same thing happened with Something in the Air. Uh, The show was working with regional viewers, and then they moved it to Saturday nights from 7.30 to 8.30, and the ratings went off a cliff. And what happened? They didn't make any more.
0: No, oh, this old time is fond memories of Bell Bird. It did have an audience in suburban Melbourne, I can confirm, Andrew.
1: Ah, uh, good, um, James. I'm glad to hear
0: that. 6.30 at night, we used to sit down to watch GTK. Yes. It was possibly the best rock show ever in the history of television. Correct. It only ran for 10 minutes, but it was a little gem. It was just sensational. And then Bellbird ran from 20 minutes to 7 o'clock until, I think, 5 to 7.
1: And Uh, what happened at 5 to 7 before the ABC News, James?
0: Now you've got me.
1: It was a weather report.
0: Oh, okay.
1: It was this kind of extended weather report. and Yeah, yeah, that's my memory of it, that they'd they'd do the weather before the news. Okay. Okay. Which was important for regional viewers. You know, that's That's why that Bellbird slot with Bellbird, the weather, and then the news was so, so, so important to so many people who lived in the country and saw themselves being reflected in that show.
0: Yeah, yeah. All righty. Um, did we mention The Cry last time we chatted? I, um, think, we, I think we might have. I can't remember. I moment. think we
1: might have. I, I, I thought it was sensational. I ended up watching the whole thing I binged. I watched the first episode so that we, you and I could talk about it. Yes. And then the day after the podcast, I just sat here on my day off and watched episodes two, three, and four and went, wow. That
0: was great. Yeah, yeah, no, it's very well done. I've, as we just record this, I have still only seen the first episode, but it was um, I enjoyed it very much.
1: Yeah, you're in for a treat.
0: Yeah, yeah. Look, just fire through a few other quick things before we stop. Um, Mrs. Wilson has slipped into the ABC schedule on a on a sort of lateish on a Sunday night. Started with R- yeah Ruth Wilson. Um, I saw again. I saw most of the first episodes. So I I didn't realise till it had started. Then I flicked across. Oh, uh, gee, it looks pretty good, though.
1: And how amazing is it that, is it Ruth Wilson? Yeah. Ruth Wilson is playing her own grandmother. It's a true story. Yeah. About yeah. her own grandmother.
0: Yeah, it's an incredible wow. tale, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah no, so that, it's really good. So that'll be on iView for a little while, so so check that out. Get cracking. I'm dying to see, but I haven't tuned in yet. <laughs> yeah. Did you see the first one?
1: Yeah, I do. Um, People on social media, uh, some people, they love this show so much. Yes. Go, oh my God, it's the funniest thing I've ever seen. I like the show, but I'm not a super fan. Mm. I kind of get a bit distracted around the halfway mark and go, this is the same joke, and it's getting a bit (laughs) old now. Um, But there's always enough kind of cameos and Denise Scott pops up playing a character and then Anne Edmonds is there and then you go oh no hang on this is funny again but to me I just it's it's just I don't find it as funny as a lot of other people do but I love that it's on air and I love that I, I, I like to support Australian comedy always so I love that it's there and I'm loving that people in, are enjoying it
0: yep 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 absolutely absolutely and um You're liking some of the movies on SBS Viceland.
1: Yeah, they're doing this nutty, bad movies festival on Wednesday nights and they're screening deliberately bad movies. And I love the (laughs) movies that they program on SBS Viceland. They've got Jaws the Revenge coming up. They've got Howard the Duck. These are big, big, well-known bombs that have turned into cult hits afterwards. Uh, They've got Spice World this Wednesday, which is going to upset a few Spice Girls fans who say... It's actually a great movie. Don't say, but look, just go with it. You know, it's, they, these are culty movies. Don't get hung up on the fact that they you know, some people are calling them bad. Um, I think they've also got the, the, that Master of the Universe movie with Dolph Lundgren, um, and there's a promo for it that i seen on TV, and it, I just think it's hilarious. It's it, it's putting a bit of comedy into a movie lineup always works for me.
0: Yeah, I just wanted to quickly mention Ten. I've uh, I got to have a bit of a chat to our uh, Beverly McGarry. Garvey uh, last week uh, Network 10's Chief Content Officer is the correct title and um, I've got the podcast up on our website uh, a bit of the interviews up there today too had a few problems with our website today but we finally got it up but she's um, talked very a lot about the 6 to 7pm hour on 10 right. and how they're just not happy with the way it's performing yep. so they've sort of given notice that Pointless is going to wrap up right. they're going to see out the uh, commissioned series, but they won't be doing any more of them, right. and, and they're not, not necessarily going for a a game show, because they've tried a few in that slot, so it's going to be interesting what they get up to, and she's also mm. said they're just not happy with the first half hour of the project. Oh, how interesting. Mm, mm. So, I mean, the project in the old days, they've tried it from six to seven, I think, and they've and they ran it from seven till seven thirty as a half hour, which is when it, I think, first started. Yep. So I think uh, watch this space regarding that hour and ten. Wow. And ten and their new owner CBS really wow. want to lift those ratings.
1: Yep.
0: Uh, they're dropping. They they said it. the are upfront last year. They're going to invest a a lot of money in the project with a big marketing campaign. I that, remember that. Yep, that will start towards the end of March, she told us. Okay. So I'm just wondering if they've, you know, I said, look, will you be making any changes before before you start spending that money? And she said, well, the show's always evolving, so there will be changes. But So I, I don't think they'll be, you know, cancelling a half hour or moving the show before then. But um, I've
1: uh, got to say, James, that I'm, I'm a... Um a real late convert to watching the project on a regular basis i've always watched it i've always liked it but it's only been uh in the last six months that i've actually gone this is kind of appointment viewing for me mm. now and and i'm i agree with you i know the important issue of the day is going to be on at 7 p.m yeah and i think i suddenly look at the clock and think oh my god it's 7 p.m i need to watch the project
0: yeah, i know i never tune in <laughs> At six thirty, I, I don't yeah. know why, but it's just something that you know. It really takes off at seven, don't you? You know.
1: Well, it's like you get used to these shows. It's like when you watch Studio Ten, mm. and it starts at eight thirty a.m. and you know they're waiting till nine thirty a.m. Yeah. Uh, to kick in with the important stories, and that's yeah. because those shows look at the ratings. Yeah. And Studio Ten figured out that when the today show and sunrise finished that people oh they, they watch those shows then they get a bit bored and they will flicking over at nine thirty. so they go yeah. to where the peak audience is and clearly the project knows that too they must know that after the 6 and 7 p.m news on 9 and 10 there's clearly a switchover factor to the project because they save their best stuff till the last half hour
0: yeah 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 all right look uh, we might wind it up there andrew yeah okay
1: yeah, and James, can I just say, yes. I'm very excited about Dancing with the Stars coming on 10. As oh, you right, know, it's, okay. it's always been my favourite reality show, Yes, and I can't wait to see uh, what 10 are about to do. I with think them.
0: they've done an excellent job with the judges, wow.
1: And, and the, the promos for the, it look great too, the, and I like the contestants.
0: But the pedigree of those judges as well, I, I, I'm, yeah. I'm really interested in, in, in what they've got to say, you know.
1: I can't wait. I'm going to have a big party here next (laughs) Monday night for it. It'll just be me, but it's going to be a party.
0: All righty. Good stuff. All right, Andrew Ricardo, thanks as always for joining us.
1: No worries, James. Have a good week.
0: Okay.